0: From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Jean Smart, who plays Lori Blake on the HBO series Watchmen. You
1: got to see so much of her public and totally private moments. It really was a gift as an actor. I mean, it was just a gift tied up with a bow on a silver platter.
0: Jeans fills us in on a recent Designing Women reunion and shares some details about the mini series she's working on with Kate Winslet. Plus, she discusses what she thinks of the Trump administration. Let's get to it. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: You are so welcome.
0: How are you doing? Where are you calling us from? From my home in, in L.A.
1: I assume you're in L.A. as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, you okay? I'm okay.
1: Are you by yourself? By myself. Oh, gosh. Sorry. If you prefer that, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a um, very strange time. <sighs> I don't know. Every day is more shocking than the one before.
0: I was going to ask you, like, how do you think you'll look back on this year? Well, number one, I'll be glad
1: when it's over. Not that a number of a year means anything, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I just <sighs> yesterday I was cleaning out a cupboard and I came across a copy of The Week and the cover was called When Cops Kill. And it was from 2015. And I thought, this is what is so frustrating is that we're still talking about the same things five years later and nothing's really changed. It's sort of like when there's a mass shooting or a school shooting or something and we all get very upset about it and, you know, for a week and then it just kind of goes away. And nothing changes. And you you just have to keep asking yourself, what is it? What is it going to take, you know, before we do serious discussions and serious action? Not just, well, we're going to form a committee to to discuss this. You know, we're going to, I don't know. And my my two kids are at home. One is thirty, and one's (laughs) eleven. So we have a lot of different, uh, a lot of different issues. We've had some real interesting discussions, which is a good thing. You know, we had a, a Zoom meeting with my daughter's teacher and she happens to be black, the parents and her, because we wanted to talk about what she's discussing with the kids in class. And we wanted to you know, give her carte blanche to, to discuss, you know, anything you know that she wanted to talk about, you know, in terms of everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, the kids today are having a lot to process and it's hard when there's, Disconnect, but also technology helping us connect. But, yeah, I worry about the mental health of the kids and, like, processing what's going on right now.
1: Absolutely. Especially the younger ones, like my daughter, who they get inundated with really too much stuff from a lot of different sources. And you have to be sure that they're getting healthy information, you know. You know, and, and it's weird because, you know, I was thinking about the show, uh, Watchmen and I was talking recently with Damon Lindelof, and this was even before the George Floyd incident. It's astonishing when you think how prophetic the show was in a way, because first with the coronavirus and the idea that something was either created or something happened that gave all of us, the entire world, a common enemy, and that that would help bring peace. If we had something big to fight, we would stop fighting with each other. You think, well, that's that can be a really good thing, but then it was set against an historical event of unbelievable brutality against the black community. I don't know. It was just a, a, incredible that he wrote that right before all of this happened.
0: Right before, but also like in the midst of all this happening because it's never really gone away and. You talk about like the backdrop, which was the Tulsa race massacre. Like how much did you know about that before signing on?
1: I knew nothing about that. It was shocking to me, shocking that I'd never heard of it. And my father was a, a history teacher. It certainly was not taught or I grew up in Seattle, Washington. It was not taught in the schools.
0: As we talk about The Watchmen, I mean you play a reformed costume vigilante, Lori Blake who is now a sort of no-nonsense FBI special agent, called into Tulsa to investigate the death of Judd Crawford, who's the police chief in Tulsa, or was. You didn't know much about Watchmen, the world of Watchmen. So what was your crash course like getting into this? Like, how much backstory did you get? How much did you want in order to play her?
1: (laughs) Well, I only had a couple of days. (laughs) for my crash course, a few days. I went out for martinis with one of the writers and she gave me <laughs> she gave me a lot of information about Lori's background and her family and her, her relationships. Because I, I had knew nothing about it. Watchman wasn't something that my son had been into when he was growing up. I always feel like research is good just to a point. I mean, it was actually very valuable to know about her parents because she obviously has a lot of issues about how she was brought up and and, of course, about her personal relationships with Dan and John. But, you know, research only goes so far. You have to base it really on the script, not not always the original material.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, as we were talking about, so much of what's going on in the news right now is explored in the series. Racism, cop culture, corrupt leaders. And there's the theme of fear which is also prevalent, like people being fearful of their fellow citizens or the use of fear to control. What did all that get you thinking about in that time that you were doing the show?
1: Well, and we were also doing the show in the time of our present administration, which I hate to say, you know, that seems to be their tactic for everything. And (laughs) You know, I mean, if you if you find out what people are afraid of, you have their hearts and minds and um, lots of times on the conservative right, you know, they have used whether it was a terrorism or even homosexuality to get voters to come to their side, you know, and you find out what it is that they're the most paranoid about. I don't know. We, we seem to we seem to have uh, leaders now who think that this is like a um, horrible, you know, high school football rivalry or something, you know, that it never it doesn't seem to have occurred to them that they're supposed to speak and work for all of us. That's like, oh, our side won. So we just hate the other side and, and fight against the other side. And, and it's like, no, once you got in power, then you're supposed to bring everybody Together, and we haven't seen any of that. And and now that things have come to such a a crisis on so many levels, we see nothing, no leadership, absolutely zero. You know, and my and my character in the show. I mean, she obviously has become to hate vigilantes. You know, she's not a person necessarily to hold up as an example. You know, she's not the uh, most ethical law enforcement person. She certainly doesn't believe in people taking things into their own hands. But I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't know what it will take for our leadership to to wake up and say, we can't just keep talking about these things. We have to do something. Talk
0: is cheap. You know? Well, how is it to be part of art that takes on subject matter like this head on? Oh, oh, oh
1: it's great because, you. I mean, this is what actors you know, crave, you know. I mean, yes, sometimes you want to do stuff that's just fun and just entertainment, but it's there was a a quote from an actor long time ago that I that I read that said, as an actor, if you want to believe that you can affect people in your audience in a good way, in a positive way, uh, open their eyes to something, you also have to accept the fact that you can be a negative influence as well. You know, so you have to make your own personal wise choices about the kind of material you do. So when you get to do something like Watchmen, it's extremely rewarding. And it was nice that the audience responded the way they did. Of course, we had no idea what was coming. Like I said, it's prophetic to an alarming degree. We had no idea about the pandemic. We had no idea how the race relations were going to come to a head in 2020.
0: It's hard to even like, try to have a conversation that is lighthearted in this time. I know we're both struggling with that right now.
1: I don't want to talk about myself. You know?
0: It's hard.
1: You, know, you want to, you know, you sometimes look at your fellow man and you think, what has happened? Several years ago, we, we were in a period where we our leaders were appealing to our better selves. And you could tell people liked that. It made them feel good. People want to do, they want to feel good about themselves. They want to do the right thing. But when you appeal to people's baser instincts, you're going to get some real dark stuff. I mean, we, we can't pretend that those people aren't out there and that they are frustrated. And, you know, I, I think a large part of our citizens felt like, okay, I'm tired of apologizing for myself. I'm tired of apologizing for being racist. I'm tired of apologizing for being sexist. I'm tired of apologizing for not having a college education or, or caring about a college education. I'm, I'm tired of apologizing. You know, I wanna just be you know, who I am. And I guess on some level I, I understand that, which is why that term elitism started becoming so common. You know, they said it, President Obama was an elitist because he liked arugula on his sandwiches. I mean, it's just like, it just got nuts, you know. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I mean, I, it, it, it. education, education, education. And I'm not just talking about formal education, I'm talking about enlightening people, teaching them, opening their eyes, because basically all human beings want the same thing. We all want the same thing. We all want to, you know, do something that's satisfying. We want to take care of our children. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. It's um it's very scary. You know, and if, and if uh, Biden wins in, in the fall, I do not envy him <laughs> at all. I'm, I mean, I wonder sometimes if he's sitting at home thinking, oh God, <laughs> do, I, do I really want to do this? Although, on the other hand, I suppose it's gotten so bad that whatever he does, he'll be the hero, you know, so.
0: Does it have you thinking about the role Hollywood plays in terms of the images we see, or do you think it's going to shape the kinds of projects you want to do, just this moment we're living in right now?
1: I think that it will. I think that it will in two ways. I think there will be some very serious subject matter that has come out of... All the events of this year. And also there will be a lot of escapism, you know, that people will just want some pure, fun, escapist entertainment. Probably be sort of a combination of both extremes. Or, or things, and not even necessarily escapist, but I think things that are really uplifting,
0: you know? What are you drawn to in this moment? Are you even watching TV? Are you reading? Are you watching movies?
1: I think I've watched more news in the last couple of years than I've watched my entire lifetime. I'm actually just got a deal producing a movie that I'm going to also be in for Amblin that is a combination of uh, somewhat topical and also very, you know, very uplifting and also very entertaining. So hopefully uh, the working title is Miss Macy. I hope it turns into something the way that we envision it right now. We'll see.
2: presented by Little America, the acclaimed comedy series now streaming exclusively on Apple TV Plus for your Emmy Awards consideration. Inspired by the true stories featured in Epic Magazine, Little America goes beyond the headlines and looks at the funny, romantic, heartfelt, inspiring, and surprising stories of immigrants in America, and they're more relevant now than ever. Episodes include The Cowboy, where a Nigerian student finds a sense of connection through Oklahoma's cowboy culture, and The Jaguar, where an undocumented high school student's life is changed by an urban squash coach. Apple TV Plus is available on the Apple TV app on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, iPod Touch, Mac, select Samsung and LG smart TVs, Amazon Fire TV and Roku devices, as well as at tv.apple.com for $4.99 per month with a seven-day free trial. Customers who purchase a new iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Mac, or iPod Touch and enjoy one year of Apple TV Plus for free. Get Apple TV Plus and stream all of Little America today.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about Watchmen. Your character is pining for somebody who's living on another planet for 30 years. How do you find the truth in that?
1: Good question.
0: Yeah, that says a lot about her. I can kind of understand that in
1: a way. Of course, then she finds out that he is living here with another woman. <laughs> um, she thinks that she's kind of got it all together, but she's really kind of a mess in a lot of ways. She uh, you know, tells Angela that, you know, you don't strike me as the kind of person who has friends. I'm thinking... Jeez, lady, (laughs) look in the mirror. If you looked in the mirror lately, you know, here she is. She's living alone in, you know, an apartment with an owl, (laughs) and has, you know, a closet full of black pantsuits and uh, no social life whatsoever. Um, She's in love with a man who, like she, like you said, she hasn't seen in thirty years, and another guy who's in prison. A shrink would have a field day with her, but. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can understand that kind of obsession, I think, under the right circumstances. You know, she met him when she was so young, and he was the most astonishing human being on the earth. And, you know, that kind of person throws all their attention at you when you're 16, 17 years old. That's going to be pretty powerful. I sort of think of it a little bit like you know, those women who were exposed to Elvis, you know, the ones who are still obsessed with Elvis to this day and make pilgrimages to Graceland every year and things like that. If they were exposed to somebody like Elvis Presley when they were at just the right age, they were just starting puberty or, you know, their middle teens or something, that would imprint them forever because he was unlike anybody else who had come along. He came on the heels of Frank Sinatra. So when you compare their styles and all of a sudden he comes out and he's just oozing sexuality and flaunts it, girls just went insane. They just went crazy, you know, and they just never kind of got over him. Michael Jackson, I think, had the same effect on really young girls.
0: How is it spending so much time talking into a receiver, telling him these jokes or riddles or whatever?
1: It's so sad. I mean, I, I just, That's what was so amazing about that first episode where Laurie's character is introduced because you got to see so much of her public and totally private moments. It really was a gift as an actor. I mean, it was just a gift tied up with a bow on a silver platter.
0: Well, you have a lot of amazing scenes in this series. And, you know, you provide a lot of like the quippy one-liners that all of us love. He shares some good scenes with Tim Blake Nelson, and we had him on the podcast recently. And I wish I had seen this tidbit before I interviewed him, but I'll ask you about it. He took you to a strip establishment in Atlanta during shooting? Please tell me what happens when Gene Smart and Tim Blake Nelson are at a strip bar. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my
1: God, we had such a good time. I, I, I told him, that, I said, you were such a bad influence, such a bad influence. I was drinking scotch, which I never drank. I uh, had a cigarette for the first time in, like, 20 years. He's a bad boy. No, he's not, actually. No, it, it, that was an experience. We sat at the bar. Tim was on my left. There was a fellow on my right who, as the evening progressed, he got a little drunker and drunker until by the end of the evening, he was professing his undying love and wanted me to run off with him. And uh, the gals there, it's famous for having older women strippers. And I don't just mean 40s and 50s. I'm talking about 60s and 70s. And they seem to be having uh, you know, a good time. Some of them don't put much effort into it. They just kind of like flash their chest and kind of rock to the music, you know. And, you know, and you hand them dollars. and And then at one point, one of the dancers, one of the younger dancers, she was maybe I don't know, forty something. She came up to me on her break. It was very loud, so I wasn't entirely sure what she said, but she wanted to know if I wanted she said, Do you want to dance? And I went, Oh, um oh gosh, no, not not right now. Thank you. Thanks, you know. And what I thought she'd said, Do you want to dance? She was asking me, Do you want a dance? And then I could finally see—you know—it was kind of dark. That you know, some of the gals were offering you know lap dances, and I thought, "Oh, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore." Okay,
0: <laughs> you missed your chance. Yeah, I—I I, I should have—I
1: should—I I, was—I met Tim there. I, I, I think I rapped like a few minutes after he did from the set or something, so I took a lift, and I should have just turned around at the door because. The guy at the door who was giving you one of those wrist stamps, he didn't take a cigarette out of his hand. So when he did, he burned me, you know, when he gave me that, I thought, oh, this is classy. This is, this is classy. That kind of set the tone for the entire evening. And then at one point I was knocked off my bar stool by a guy who weighed about 350 pounds. Other than that, it was a good evening.
0: We need a whole spinoff of just this. Like this needs to be the premise of a show now. Please make it happen. It's really great. I want to go back a little bit in your career because I've been watching Designing Women obsessively because it's on Hulu now. Thank God. Was there a time you ever regretted leaving Designing Women when you did? No, because, um, you know, I'd done it for five years and
1: my contract was up and I just felt like it was time to do something else. Um, That's sort of the conflict that actors have a lot when you commit to a series because I think one of the things that's attractive about acting is that you get to do so many different things all the time and work with different people and different writers, and and then you find yourself in this nice, cushy job, you know, and you, you can get a little lazy. So I felt like it was time to do other things, and I got work right away, which, which was very uh, satisfying. It was the right time, but... Sony has a, uh, a YouTube channel called Throwback TV, and they have been getting together shows that are no longer on the air and having the actors do a Zoom table read of one of their scripts. So Annie and I, Delta was not able to participate. She's, she's taking care of her mother. And unfortunately, we don't have darling Dixie Carter. We read the pilot script. It was just, a ho- you would have not... Thought that 30 years had gone by for Annie and I. I. mean, we just felt like we were like right back there. It was just so much fun. Kira Sedgwick read Dixie's part. She was fabulous.
0: Who did Scott Bakula? Scott Bakula. Yes.
1: Yes. Darling Scott showed up to reprise his role. It was great. And uh, Wendy, she read Delta's part. She'd read Suzanne.
0: Wendy McClendon-Covey.
1: Yes. Love her. And it was just a hoot. I mean, it was weird not having an audience. You know, laughing, <laughs> but uh, it was fun. It was really fun.
0: Well, because there have been talks about a reboot happening, and I know Linda, the creator, it was set to open a play about the show. If the reboot does indeed happen, would you want to have some part in that, even if it's just an appearance?
1: Well, the reboot was really going to be a sequel. Yeah. With the sort of the next generation And, you know, it would have been fun to drop in, you know, occasionally. Absolutely. I don't think that they're going ahead with that right now, but she is definitely working on the play.
0: Well, as you said, you never really stopped working after leaving Designing Women. Like, never. (laughs) How much effort, though, did it require to not get pigeonholed into playing a certain type of character? Like, did you have to learn how to be a risk taker in that time?
1: Well, the first job I got offered after I left Designing Women was I played Eileen Warnos, who was the dubious title of being America's first female serial killer. So I guess I wasn't being typecast.
0: <laughs> in a weird way, I mean, you're someone that's really taken advantage of the TV boom in recent years. Like we're seeing you everywhere. You did Fargo, Dirty John, Legion, Watchmen. You got like I don't know I know of at least two more projects in the works so have you found there are more interesting opportunities now like how would you how would you compare what you're getting now versus earlier in your career
1: well first of all I hope people don't get sick of me it's <laughs> a little bit of a concern
0: oh it's, it's definitely different now
1: it's there's definitely so many more opportunities for actors and and actresses in particular I think um part of me, the whiny actor part of me, you know, like says, well, where were you 30 years ago? I'm not any better now than I was. Back then. But uh, no, I am, I'm eternally grateful for all the opportunities I've had in the last several years. I mean, it just, it kind of started for me anyway, it kind of started with 24. And um, I mean, I'm right now I'm in the middle of, I don't know when we're going to get to finish it. I'm in the middle of doing a a miniseries with Kate Winslet, where I play her mother. And it, it's been so much fun and such a, an amazing time. I, I love Kate. Um, and I play her mother, you know, and I, I just, it's a great character. You know, they live together and they can't stand each other. And they're very blue collar South Philly. And, uh, you know, I look forward to getting back to it. I'm not quite sure when we will. but
0: That's the HBO series Mayor of Easttown, right?
1: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: Has there been a role you've really had to fight for?
1: Hmm. I'm trying to think. Well, you know, lots of times there are parts I would have liked to have had the opportunity to fight for. (laughs) You know, they come out later and you say, oh, where was I when they were casting that? You know, I mean, I was was offered Watchmen, which is always lovely when it's just offered to you. Fargo, I auditioned for and I wanted very much. And thankfully... That worked out because that was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. And then because of that, Noah Hawley hired me for Legion. Oh, see, actors hate it when you say this. I, didn't, not, I can't think of anything recently. I always feel bad because I never felt like I paid my dues. You know, I didn't wait tables. I didn't do temp work. Uh, you know? I was extraordinarily fortunate. I mean, I starved for years doing theater. You know, but it, I didn't feel like I was starving. It was just sort of like, you know, you're young and, you know, I was single, I didn't have kids, and you just think, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get my, next month's rent, but something will come along, uh, and something I always did. I supported myself doing theater for years, years before I ever did anything on camera. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up for anything. That was, and It, and it gave me an enormous amount of confidence
0: you've been in this business for a while and I think it can be easy to become jaded. And I know people ask me all the time, I've been doing this for like 10 plus years. Why do you still want to cover TV? And it's like, it's my passion. I love it. There's never nothing interesting about what's going on. So for you, I mean, how do you make sure that you still find joy in your career?
1: Gosh, you know, I, I have been so lucky to not ever be or find myself in a, um, a set where it's just kind of a nightmare. I mean, I hear horror stories from other actors about directors or, or other actors who just made their lives miserable on a set. And I can't imagine being able to work under those circumstances. I don't, I don't do well with, <laughs> with things like that. I, I don't. I, I like a happy, <laughs> supportive set. And so that, a knock wood, that would be a nightmare scenario for me. So in that sense, I've been really, really fortunate to work with really wonderful, wonderful people and kind, collaborative people. Again, I, I feel really lucky because, you know, my, my husband, oh, my God, he did a He did a series once where he was one of the two leads. And they were at the point where they did not even speak unless they had dialogue. I would be an absolutely nervous. I don't know how he did it. And they were doing 60-hour weeks, you know. And Noah Hawley, I think, I know that he makes sure that he checks out people's reputations before he hires them because he doesn't want to deal with any, any of that. People who are on that list called the life is too short list, those people. There's too many talented people that are easy to work with, that there's no, there's no reason, there's no reason to ever hire somebody who's not because there's a hundred people that are just as good.
0: Are you somebody that looks back on the stuff that you've done? Like, do you ever cozy up and watch, I don't know, Samantha Who? Or do you keep a journal of all the things that you've been in just for yourself? No, I
1: haven't. I, I, I really should. I know some people like to sit on a set and just kind of Take notes and doodle and things. And I think, how oh, what a wonderful thing to have that and look back on later. But no, I haven't done that. Is sometimes if I run across something, I don't usually seek something out to watch it. But if I run across something, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Um, my husband and I just started watching um, Bringing Down the House the other night, and I thought, oh, that was so much fun. I thought, damn, I looked good. Shoot, man. What happened?
0: <laughs> oh no, you still look good, Gene, for sure. Wow. <laughs> um,
1: but uh, that was fun. Steve was Steve was great, and I didn't know what to expect, you know. Um, but he was he was really really sweet. Um, I, I I don't watch a lot of TV. I
0: watch my guilty pleasure is HGTV. What's your show, Gene? Flip or flop? Fixer upper? Fixer upper. Oh my God, my
1: relationship with my husband is sort of like their relationship. <laughs> my husband is somewhat similar to Chip Gaines. Also, I've recently discovered a Flea Market Flip, which I really, I desperately want to ban that show. So I'm hoping that they, you know, hear that and ask me to ban the show.
0: I will make sure of it. We need this to happen. Our final question comes from a previous guest Uzo Aduba of Mrs. America. Here's the question she had for you.
1: My question would be, Gene, why do you still do it? Good question. Well, I mean, there, there are some obvious reasons. You know, it pays the bills and, you know, and, and I'm still enjoying it. So as long as I'm still enjoying it. But I really do feel this way. And, and <laughs> one day on the set or one night, one rainy night on the set, Recently, Kate Winslet, she was having to do this, this one kind of unpleasant scene over and, over and over and over and over, and it was starting to rain, and it was crack of dawn, and she said, remind me why we do this again? <laughs> and I said, because we are the tribe's storytellers. Tribes have to have storytellers. It is a very, very, very important role. It's a very important job. I said, and that's who we are, and that's why we do it. We're telling a great story. That shut her up.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, now I'm going to turn the tables on you. Our next guest will be Gugu Mbatara from The Morning Show. What question do you have for her? And it does not have to be about her series. It could be an actor-to-actor question.
1: Oh, okay. Do you think it's important as an actor to be a role model as well.
0: I like that. We will ask her. Well, Jean, thanks so much for taking the time under these circumstances where it's hard to really focus on anything right now. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, honey, you too.
0: And stay safe and healthy.
1: Yeah, you too. Be well.
0: That's it for the 20th episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Ivan Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guest for this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We're talking to Gugu and raw As I say, secrets give you a strong sense of an inner life on screen, especially if you don't have... As many words to say, you know, you've always got something to feel. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one, and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash supportlatimes to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you tomorrow.